0: Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, <laughs> my nephew needs me of record. See, I hate. I already hate it. All right. Hello, it. and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined as I am once a week during this college basketball almost happening season. No, college football is here and in full force, but college basketball is right around the corner. I am joined by someone whose knees. Uh, Ostensibly, still work. His ankles still work. His feet still work. It's stats by Will, the half marathoner himself. Will, good evening, sir. How are you?
1: Doing well. I tested him out again this morning for the first time since the uh, Knoxville half on Sunday. And Mm -hmm. hurt the first mile. And then I was like, Stop being a baby. You can run. And then I finished out the remaining three miles and was fine. You just, it's the, the first one back after a race is uh, quite difficult because you're still like kind of hurting a little bit, but you know, after like a mile or two, you're just like, yeah, I remember how to do
0: this and you're fine. So how does that, like, how did it work? Do you get bored on 13? Cause I can do three to four and not, uh, not think twice about it and that's fine. But like, I, I do start to get bored. My mind starts to wander after a certain point where I'm just like, I, I want to do something else. Now I'm ready to be productive in a different way. How do you, how do you stay on course for, for 13 miles?
1: It's kind of, I It's kind of like a tale of two of these because I did one back in April in Louisville. That was the mm-hmm. first. One. Then it was number two. The Louisville one was far easier because one, it was a lot colder. It was forty-five degrees that day versus uh, sixty-eight on Sunday, and it, you like the difference is so bad. Like I was pouring sweat the whole back half of this. But um, one thing that honestly helps, which is really strange to say is to, like, I I set up score alerts uh, through one of the soccer apps and it was just, like, having those sent to my watch. So I was like, oh, PSG is losing. And it was, like, at mile four. And I almost pulled out my phone to text a friend about it. And then I was like, you're in the middle of a half marathon and it's raining. Don't do that. Did you get sick? No, I'm fine. Uh, I feel all good. But it it was... The only thing that really hurt was, like, so... People who aren't in Knoxville are not going to understand this, but it goes through Sequoia Park.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Like at the bottom of that, it was, that was when the rain was sitting hardest. It was puddling really bad on the road. And so, for like two miles straight, I was just running through puddles, and you can feel like your shoes get really heavy, your socks are super wet. And so, like, I got home and I was like, I was pretty badly blistered. Ooh. Uh, I mean, that was like the only really bad thing from uh, Other than that, it's like within two days, I felt fine again. Uh, it's, it's strange. I feel less bad from the half marathons than I do when I like play basketball for two or three hours. Like Ooh. after those really pick up games, the next day I'm hurting pretty bad.
0: Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. This is the extremely guys in their thirties uh, portion of the podcast, but, um, no, I, I can't like, it's so much worse. Say it again. <laughs>
1: I'm 27 and I'm washed up already.
0: No, the, like basically 27 is 37 in pickup. Um because <laughs> I was there too. And I just turned 30 a few months back. I think I'm actually nearing. Yeah, I'm a one I'm one week away from my half birthday, so I'm I'm nearing closer to 31 30. That is terrifying to say out loud, but um no, I think it's it's interesting because like my body like it got to the point where I uh I just couldn't do it because I used to play pickup two to three nights a week. And I'm the kind of player that uh full court presses. I think we've talked about this uh before, where like I I just am very engaged and uh I I play hard defense, I fight through screens, I uh come off picks, I I shoot a lot, especially shooting deep, and it was just wearing my body out. Like I did I don't know how to play pickup like a 57 year old out of shape guy. Like that was something that I never learned how to transition into where it's just like spot up shooter, defend a little bit when I need to jog up and down the court, be kind of involved, but not really just you're there for the Tony Snell cardio. That's just not how I'm wired when it comes to basketball. So I had to stay away. And the last time I kid you not, the last time I ta- I-, I played pickup um, I almost—I thought I tore my ACL. Like I thought I—I I ripped it. Um, and that was like a wake-up call because—and it was something. I—I I, I kid you not. This is what the the good folks of the Chase Songs podcast. This is what they're into—the the minutia of our pickup lives. But I—I uh, I got wrapped. This uh—this girl we were playing with wrapped her leg around me when I came around a pick, like full on dirty, like just wrapped my leg and. I just spun like I didn't see her do it but like she put it out and they were like oh my god because I asked them when I was like I yelped it hurt so bad and I tried to put my put weight on it and I couldn't I I was falling over and i, I was it hurt so bad and I've messed up my knee before where I was like oh you gotta be kidding me uh, I, this is not a great time although there's never a great time to to jack up your knee but like I was I was extremely nervous about what was happening immediately when it got ice, but I was fuming and they were like, yeah, dude, she hurt you, like on purpose, like 1000% stuck her leg out to try and stop me from getting an easy layup. And uh, yeah, that was the last time where I was like, I can't, I'm terrified. Like I've been terrified to play pickup since I'll shoot around, but in terms of pickup, the last time I was like, nope, I've had so many injuries that chipped teeth, I've like Pickup destroys your body, unfortunately. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say here.
1: <laughs> See, my my role is a little different. I'm just as engaged on defense as you are. But I'm. do you know how Ken Palm has that, you have like the little roles where it's like star player, major contributor, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mine is really invisible. I, I shoot maybe once a game. Mm. I, I'm just, I'm there to set picks. I'm there to pass. I'm there to play defense. I'm... I am not there to score half my team's points because I know I'm not going to.
0: <laughs> you and I are wired very differently, Will, which is good. It makes for good podcasting. I mean, I, uh, yeah, no, I <laughs> I could tell you so many stories. Like, I almost got kicked out of an intramural game in undergrad. Um, one of my professors was in the building when I cussed out a ref in an intramural game. Like, just 19 F-bombs <laughs> directed at, a, at an official. Um, but... Friend front of the pod, Matt Green can attest, because I believe he was in the building for that, what happened, where I got away on a fast break. I stole a ball from somebody, and the dude, he was a football player. He just didn't make a basketball play and just shoved me into the bleachers as I was going up from behind. Like, just shoved me. And I went into the bleachers. Like, it hurt. Like, I jacked up my shoulder. And he just gave a foul, no technical. And I was like, are you really not tossing this dude? He just jacked. Like, it wasn't a basketball play. I was hot and bothered.
1: That's that's pretty that's
0: nasty. It was, but these pick like intramurals in college get more nasty and more intense than I mean, I played AAU growing up and like there were some crazy parents but the games didn't really get nasty. It was more the parents got nasty and it was just uh that's a in of itself. Like I would I would love to do a whole thirty for thirty documentary on just AAU parents, but like uh yeah, intramural, it's crazy times, crazy times. Uh what about talking about college basketball? Do you want to do that? For a little bit, Will?
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm here
0: for. Well, I think we should start with your new series. I think we got we to gotta let the good folks, um, so statsbywill.com, if you've not already, make sure to go check that out. Um, Will did an awesome, awesome deep dive. He was hinting at it on the pod last week. Will, tell the good folks what uh, they can check out and what you've been up to over on statsbywill.com.
1: Uh, so this is a series on my site called Eight Games, uh, Modern History of Tennessee Basketball from 1997 to 2021. Uh, I have been sort of working on this on and off for uh, several months uh, when I've had time and uh, have been really pleased with how it's turned out. Uh, what it is, it's an eight-part deal where each uh each quote episode sort of centers around roughly like a three to four year period uh, in Tennessee basketball history where, you know, Tennessee in the last 25 years has had six different head coaches. All six of them have been wildly different from one another. And uh, to get to, you know, Rick Barnes, this upcoming 2021, 22 season, you have to go back and sort of look at it from how it's gone from Jerry Green in 1997 to, Barnes. 25 years later Um, and it was it was both the personal passion project of I realized last year you know I I hadn't really seen much of the green era because I was really young then Uh, you know when green uh, quote resigned from Tennessee I was seven years old so I didn't really know what it was then and this is you know a fun research thing to do Uh, and I've been really encouraged by the feedback online a little bit more so than I thought I would be um, and there have been pieces on uh, Tennessee's 1997 to 2001 era so far. Uh, yesterday, as in Wednesdays, was 2001-2005. And then tomorrow, Friday, October 8th, there will be a piece out on the first three years of the Bruce Pearl era, uh, which were amazing in real time and wild to look back on. But uh, to sum it all up, I mean, it's, like I said, it's a passion project, but I thought it was something Other younger Tennessee basketball fans and older, uh, which I've been surprised by as well, would get into uh, because I've noticed, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't really remember Tennessee basketball pre-Pearl or, you know, the more the older fans, maybe they've forgotten the green and Buzz Peterson years. So this is sort of a retelling of that, looking to see, you know, the most important games for each coach and telling that story through one or two games for uh, each coach in their tenure.
0: I like it. Who's up next? Can you reveal that or no?
1: Yeah. So this next one is Bruce Pearl, uh, his first three years in his first season at Tennessee. They went on the road to play top five Texas, uh, then coached by Rick Barnes, uh, who was seen at the time as a final four favorite. Tennessee was a huge underdog uh, and went into Texas and blew them out start to finish one by 17 led by as many as 25, I think. Uh, and that was sort of the announcement game for how things were going to be much, much different uh, under Pearl than they were under previous coaches. Tennessee was playing a completely different style. It was working. It was sort of ambushing opponents that weren't expecting it. And that led to the amazing first three seasons under Pearl. Uh, and, uh, of course, we talk them there about, you know, the 06 07 run, where Tennessee, you know, blows the 20 point lead to Ohio State in the Sweet 16. And then, of course, 2007 08, where they play Memphis for a shot at number one in the country.
0: Mm. Well, uh, go check that out if you have not already. StatsIWill.com. It's a great series. I'm excited to keep reading it, man. Uh, you're doing a great job. So go do that. StatsIWill. Dot com. Um, I thought this would be interesting because we're going to do the biggest questions entering the 2021-2022 college basketball season thanks to um, Jeff Brazello of ESPN.com. Great college basketball writer, so go read him and read the piece. If you've not already, you can find it pretty easy on ESPN.com slash CBB or college basketball. I forget which one it is for them. Um, Vanderbilt, the other team, uh, they're having a, a really great college football season and uh, I, I feel bad about taking some attention and some spotlight off what Carly is doing over there in uh, in Nashville at the moment, but I think we need to we need to remove the excitement, take a step back from UConn Vandy, which was an absolute delight, and talk about their basketball program because I am very curious to get your perspective on Vanderbilt because we're going to talk about a couple other SEC teams that might be dark horses um being the new Vanderbilt from or being the new Alabama rather this season in the SEC Vanderbilt I I don't know because it seems like a lot of what Vanderbilt will be in 2021-2022 is how healthy they are they have some talent they have Rodney Chapman they have Tyron Lawrence they have Shane Dozoni they have Peyton Daniels they have Uh, a big transfer in Liam Robbins uh, from Minnesota. Like, I I think about it and going through the roster and going through who's going to get rotation minutes, I don't think Vandy's going to be as awful as they were last year. They play a more modern style. I am a believer in what Stackhouse is trying to do, at least offensively. But um, what is your perspective on Vanderbilt going into the
1: year? Uh, I think, like you said, they're going to be a little... I mean, this is all assuming, you know, no major injuries, no sort of huge issues that have plagued them in previous years, but I think they are going to be a little bit better. I mean, I have them as the 10th best team in the SEC, which I know that doesn't sound like much, but after, you know, three years of being dead last or next to last, that is a pretty good improvement. It's funny you brought up the football team, because I do think this Vanderbilt basketball program is moving out of sickos territory where you're not, like, watching their games because they it's like, you're not watching them playing South Carolina and you're like, Oh God, but you're, you're watching them because like you said, they do play a modern style. I actually had you know, more fun than I anticipated having watching them play last year. Scotty Tiffin rocks. Uh, I think Jordan Wright is an underrated player. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Liam Robbins, uh, from Minnesota, a literal big transfer. Um, I think they have an intriguing roster. There's a lot of questions and some depth concerns and I don't quite know who's getting all the minutes into scoring other than Scottie Tiffin. But like I like we've been saying, I think this is just a better Vanderbilt team than the last few. And they just they seem to have a higher floor, which is what I you know, Stackhouse kind of came into a horrible situation where you're coming off of 0 and eighteen. Uh, the only way is up, and while it's taken a little bit of a ways to get there, they are improving, and I do think this team's going to be a little bit better.
0: I agree. Um, you know who I don't think is going to be any better? The Georgia Bulldogs. They can change. They can change the <laughs> court, but you know, you know what? It's interesting. And Georgia fans, I have a lot of Georgia fan listeners, and look, the football program's great. It's awesome. Everything else sucks. Baseball, terrible basketball terrible all you've got is football hypos on the way back and i've been watching this electric teon Evans, tendon hooker led offense but tennessee across the board the lady vols the rowing team women's soccer basketball men and women baseball softball tennessee is diversified their winning portfolio i I don't think uh, it's any contest georgia is a train wreck and in all kinds of other other sports but tennessee the deepest people forget people are talking that uh tennessee volunteers have uh have really made it work across the board but yeah no Georgia's still gonna be bad so it's cool change change the court a little bit it's gonna mask the fact that your team and tom Crean is going to lead this team to maybe 14th again like are they your early favorite to be dead last in the sec because i feel like they are
1: 100%. I, I will push back a tiny bit on the, the Georgia slander, which I otherwise endorse, by the way. <laughs> uh, the softball program's not bad. They made the college world series this year. Really? Not bad them. softball. But yes, otherwise, it seems to just be football. Um, I think they are, uh, number one, if we're back on the Secos portion, definitely <laughs> leader, definite leader in the clubhouse for. Grossest program to watch in the SEC. Uh, I was looking back through in prep for this pod today. The uh, SEC roster rankings I put out in July, and Georgia was number 14 by a mile then, and I don't really see anything that changes that. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to figure out who is going to lead them in scoring or who can score. They lost their top six scorers from a 7-11 and 11 SEC team last year. <laughs> um, that's just a nasty roster. I think on paper... To be totally honest, uh, this is the worst SEC roster I have seen since like the Rick Ray, Kim Anderson, you know, Mississippi State slash Missouri years. This mm. is, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not going to call it 0 and 18 because a lot of things have to go wrong for 0 and 18, mm-hmm. but something like 2 and 16 is very much on the board. And if you're a Tom Crean and you're going 2 and 16 in year four, uh, like, what's the, what's the point of year five?
0: <laughs> well, who had Tom cream being worse than Mark Fox at Georgia?
1: Not close. He's way worse.
0: <laughs> I just can't believe that. Like, I didn't think cream was going to save Georgia, but I didn't think he'd be worse than Mark Fox. Like I'm stunned at how much worse he's been than Mark Fox.
1: Yes. And, and that, you know, it was one thing that they were so, you know, middling with Anthony Edwards.
0: on mm-hmm. um,
1: but like, Last year, it seemed like they might be getting a little better. You know, they were. They finished 7-11 in SEC play, so it is a little bit better than the 5-13. But, I mean, like, they lost by 25 to South Carolina or something like that. I know, like, Arkansas is a great team, or was last year, obviously, but a 30-point loss is nothing good. I mean, they, they just got blown off the court, like, every other week in the SEC season. And, I mean... It, it, it would be really hard to find something optimistic.
0: Fayetteville right is now. sneaky in great shape too, right? Like with the baseball, basketball, and football program, they're sneaky yeah. and uh, in good shape across the board. Um, I mean, their their manager in baseball, nobody likes him. People are saying um, a whiner, if you will. Um, <laughs> people people don't uh, people don't really like him anymore. Uh, going at Tony Vitello and. Uh, it's important to remind pe- people that uh, Tony Vitello is innocent and uh, should be respected at all points uh, during the season. So, biggest questions for the college basketball season per Jeff Borzello. I'm going to throw a couple of them at you, and we'll see where we're at. Um, Gonzaga is going to have two two large men manning the middle for them, and Chet Holman who, Holmgren, excuse me, who just doesn't look real? Every video I watch of him, every little bit of tape I watch of him, it's just bonkers to me. He looks like Poku from uh, Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, I don't. I don't know how this is going to work, but the number one prospect uh, for his class, and you know, he's going to be right there with Drew Timmy, and or how do you pronounce it? I don't even remember now. Is it time? I. I what is it?
1: Yeah, Timmy's right.
0: Yeah, Timmy's right. Who is it? who has a weird spelling based on their, the way you pronounce it?
1: Um, on Gonzaga?
0: Yeah. Who was that last year?
1: Um, let's, uh, let's look. Uh, shoot. I know, I have a feeling I don't know who you're talking about.
0: I remember I always said it wrong. And then I found out it's like, how oh. do you think, hmm?
1: Was it Joel, Joel, Ayai or Ajayi or whatever it was?
0: Hmm. Maybe not. No, I don't think so. Hmm.
1: Andrew uh, Nembhard?
0: No, it wasn't that. I'll, I'll I'll, figure it out. We'll figure it out. But either way, the broader question here. So, they had one of the most efficient offenses in basketball right there with Baylor. They were one of the two best basketball teams in the country last year. They lose Jalen Suggs. However, they lose Corey Kispert, but they gain a Chet Holmgren. They're going to be a very different looking team. And I think they're going to be efficient and a pain in the butt for very different reasons. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I would also add that they, I mean, Hunter Salas is a great freshman that they've added as mm-hmm. well as a uh, from Iowa state. That's like their people are, I think they won't be sleeping on them. Cause I have a feeling that Zag is fairly likely to open number one in the eight <clears throat> people. It's going to be them or UCLA, but I mean, it's a really freaking good team. Um, I'm curious to see how it all works out, especially with Timmy and Holmgren together, because, you know, in face value, you don't see many, like, six foot ten. You don't see many lineups where it's, like, two guys at six foot ten or taller sharing the court, neither of whom is, like, a true stretch four or five. Timmy took a little under a three a game last year. Holmgren did make a three per game uh, in camps uh, this summer, but, I mean... Obviously, I think everybody knows where he's best is, you know, inside the perimeter. Um, One of them is going to have threes. You know, I, I think it's probably better that Holmgren would unless Timmy has gotten a lot better. Timmy just clearly didn't seem that comfortable taking them. He would if he was open and if the team needed him to. But it obviously was not his first choice. But one of them has to take them because it'll make the space in the offense a lot better. Uh, I, I think even if there's some shooting struggles, it'll still be fine. I mean, like the Mobleys played together a lot last year at USC. That's kind of like the closest cop in a way. Uh, both at least tried to shoot, though, and both were obviously a terrorist as soon as they got to the paint. I think the same's probably pretty likely against Saga. And to be honest, I know what's, what sucks is, like, I was all prepared to come in here a month ago and be like, Mark, he is an unmatched genius, and then he did what he did, and he is no longer an unmatched genius. But Mark Few is still a fantastic basketball coach, regardless of his off-the-court doings. And I think he's going to have something figured out pretty quick.
0: Yeah, I'm not really worried about Gonzaga. People are going to overthink Gonzaga. I just don't think they're going to be as good as last year. I, I don't. I think it's going to be a slight step back. I don't think they're going to be in the Final Four this year.
1: They'll be a hair worse, but mm-hmm. I don't think they'll be anything. I can't wait to see them play Texas uh, November 13th. mm that mm. is going to be a special,
0: special game. I like it. I like it. Um, did you see Monty Bates' wingspan?
1: It wasn't good, right? It was one of the shortest they've ever measured for somebody six foot nine or taller.
0: Yes. Do you know what? It, do you know what it was?
1: It was um Was it six foot seven and a quarter or something? Yes,
0: like that? six seven. The most T Rexy of T Rex arms. What is that wingspan? What What is that real?
1: Well, I said, did you see the I saw the vertical leaf was like twenty four inches, <laughs> which is horrific. Like punters can jump
0: that. Yeah, I don't understand it at all. This guy's gonna be a lottery pick? I don't know, man. i I don't know. yeah,
1: I, I'm curious to see that like it's <laughs> it, was, it, it made for great content, whatever it was, and it did kind of backfire a little bit on Penny his uh, goal of having the pro day for everybody. But um, I mean, it's just like I think they'll be fine. Imani Bates will be fine. Um,
0: well, we talked at nauseam uh, i guess it was last week um, about, or maybe two weeks ago—but uh, about Memphis, and I think you and I shared the opinion that they're going to be fine defensively. Like we know they're going to be elite defensively, but are they going to be good enough in the half court? Are they going? Is this offense going to finally work? And Imani Bates as a lead creator—I don't know. Like I have my doubts, Um, but then again, it's just like so much talent. How do they not figure it out? I don't know. I go back and forth on this.
1: Mm. I would like to see, uh, you know, Duran or even like Landers Nolley. I want to see what happens if you know maybe these first few games because they don't really play anyone extremely difficult until Virginia Tech uh, Thanksgiving week. That's their fifth game. The first four they will all be. 13 or greater point favorites against Uh, like by then, I think we'll have a good idea of who is most likely to lead in scoring and who's most likely to have the ball in their hands in a close game. Uh, But yeah, I mean like the misfortune of their schedule is like, it really is not that great. It sucks. I mean the Virginia tech game is one thing because I think people are pretty high on them, but the second they don't play a second, like, lock NCAA tournament team. Or really, they don't even play one lock in state tournament team until Alabama December 14th.
0: Hmm. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, One of the questions that I think is kind of funny, it's like the – I like, I'm more concerned – I shouldn't even say concerned. I'm more curious about Memphis than I am Texas. Because one of his questions is, how does Chris Beard keep everyone happy at Texas? um texas can be fine uh they they have a lot of good pieces uh beard's deep he's killed it in the portal um he brought in six of the top 30 transfers in espn's rankings like just this team's loaded and chris beard's an elite basketball coach i'm not worried like i know more about chris beard as a college basketball coach than i do penny hardway at this point um i'm not worried about beard keeping everyone happy and keeping the longhorns rolling what about you
1: I'm going to take a wild guess and say that the coach that turned Texas freaking tech into an every year top 20 program is probably going to handle things just fine at Texas, especially with the talent they've accumulated. I do agree that it's going to be hard to narrow it down to like an eight man rotation come March. Uh, They they might have to extend the nine. I don't think they should, but they might. Um, But he's going to have quite a bit of time to figure it out again, back to the schedules. Gonzaga, is, like as of now, is the only truly great team I'm seeing. You know, in that first month, they play Seton Hall on the road in early December. Uh, but I mean, they've got games against like Houston Baptist, Northern Colorado, Cal Baptist, in there to kind of tune up, figure out, you know, who works with who before it really gets serious on the schedule.
0: Mm. Um, the last big one that I thought was interesting. Because uh, I think Villanova is going to be fine. Like we're we're overthinking Villanova now too. Um, who is this season's Michigan or Alabama? And I had just kind of forgotten. Uh, I knew Bama obviously being out of the AP poll before the season, but Michigan, um, a team you're very very familiar with, Michigan Wolverines, uh, winning 18 of their first 19 games, Big Ten regular season title. Uh, Michigan was great, but they kind of came out of nowhere and Burzulis auburn and mississippi state people might jump or wonder about mississippi state based on how Howland has done uh with the bulldogs to this point but there's talent uh he brings in garrison brooks because let me check my notes here his father is on the coaching staff uh that usually helps that usually helps um auburn is the other one bruce pearl you and i we i'm looking at a bruce pearl signed photo uh in my office right now shout out to bruce but um they're loaded. Kessler, Flanagan, uh, Jabari Smith, Katie Johnson, a, a, another Georgia guy who was like, I'm I'm kind of good on losing with Tom Green. Um, and then Florida as a potential option. And then maybe Indiana. I, of that list, the one that seems the most realistic to me is Auburn. But I was wondering if I was on an island because I was like, I was thinking about it. And this to be safe, I think has enough... Veteran talent that, like, I really am kind of talking myself into the Bulldogs being being pretty good uh, this year. What about you?
1: Uh, I would agree that Auburn of some of those teams listed Auburn, Mississippi State, Florida, Indiana. Auburn would be the one I would pick to be most likely to sort of pop out. I mean, it's a really talented roster. You had some good transfers. It's Bruce Pearl. I would be kind of surprised if they weren't good. You know, I, I think. I do question the idea of them flying under the radar because I think they are going to open the season as like a back-end top 25 team. And I would say that they're probably, you know, like in that 18 to 21 range in my head. So I don't know if they're that far under the radar. But I would agree that they're likely to be really good. Um, I am not in on Mississippi State, to be honest. I, I think that they're fine. I think that they will be... A NCAA tournament like contender, like they'll be in the fight for it most of the season. Um, but it is really a prove it thing to me with Ben Hallen because I, I think this is this is what year seven of Ben Hallen and they've made one tournament. Has he really and been there like,
0: seven years already?
1: Yeah, and it, so yeah, this is Ben Hallen's seventh season, and you know, one tournament they haven't really come that close to making it in the other five seasons. Um, I know that they added like some big name transfers. Garrison Brooks is obviously really good. I think we know that, but uh, it's, it's the same kind of limiting factor for them with me year after year. Ben Holland is one of the most old, old school offensive coaches there is. He is happy to play multiple non shooters together at the same time. He probably will this year with Tulu Smith and Garrison Brooks. It's a bad strategy. I, I don't think it works. I mean, it's great for getting rebounds, but it's horrible for making shots. And um, I, people seem quite excited about them adding Rocket Watts. I question, did they watch him play with Michigan State? Uh, and do you think that Ben Halland is going to get more out of a player than Tom So, mm. I'm just i in wait and see mode with him where it's like, I get it. I understand why people are excited, but I also don't see much historically to get excited about.
0: That's fair. I'm curious to see what Indiana looks like with Mike Woodson, if Mike Woodson will be an okay college coach. I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend to have any insight into that. I think he was kind of an underrated pro basketball coach, but I think, I, I have no idea how he's going to be at IU. I don't think he can be worse than than Archie, right? Like, I, I, It seems pretty unlikely to me.
1: I think they're going to be good. That's, that's a team that I'm expecting to end up like a 6 or 7 seed in March and just be kind of I don't think that they're going to be great. Uh, I, I wouldn't peg them as a breakout candidate in my head because I can't really see how far above their ceiling they could go. But with, with Indiana, uh, that seems like a team that's just going to be a lot tougher to shove off the court this year. Under Archie, it was like if, if they weren't hitting shots, you know, with about eight, seven minutes left, you could kind of sense they were giving up. There were not many games where it's like once Indiana got down you thought, Oh, they might come back and win this. It was like when Indiana got down, they got down and they were out Yeah. I think they'll fight harder under Woodson. I know it's like kinda of hard to quantify, but he, he seems like a guy who is going to have them play really hard every single game. And mm-hmm. that's what they need.
0: Yeah. I think so. I think so. All right, Will well do you have anything else you would like to to point out on on any of this before we, we wrap up here tonight?
1: I would say that for the the seasons, Michigan or Alabama, uh, I, I do like the quote from the article, if I knew the right answer, I would just rank that team mm-hmm. higher. <laughs> uh, it, I think the basic question is like, which team that's like in the 25th to 40th pile is most likely to end up top 10? And there are like some good roulette chips out there. I've mentioned how much I like the St. Bonaventure team. I think that they're going to be really, really good. We've talked about UConn in the past and Oklahoma. Um, There are two roulette chips that I'm quite interested in. Notre Dame returns a ton of uh, scoring from last year's team as a key transfer to, and critically, I believe is going to be the oldest in terms of years of experience, high major roster in college basketball this year. They're uh, loaded with juniors and seniors. I think the starting five is actually going to be all seniors. So I think... But teams like that tend to start hot and sustain it fairly well. And it wouldn't surprise me if this is like Mike Breeze or Mike Bray's last last great Notre Dame team. The other, and I'm getting suckered in again on them, and I hate myself for it, is LSU. Um, I know it's Will Wade. I know it's the same problem they have every single year that can't play defense. But my God, do they have a lot of talent on that team? (laughs)
0: Well, I also just respect Uh, what Will Wade does, and I respect the program. I respect uh, Will Wade still being allowed to coach college basketball.
1: (laughs) Exactly. If if they have any good bench players step up, that is a team that is going to exceed projections because, like, night one, they have three very serious all-SEC candidates on their roster. And uh, Xavier Pinson... Adam Miller and Darius Days. Like all three of those guys are really, really good basketball players. And Eston Reed, the new freshman, is quite talented as well. Uh if, if they can find any good bench player, because right now they have five good players and nothing on the bench that I'm looking at in interest. If any of those guys step up, that's gonna be like a top twenty five team by year's end.
0: Mm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I I don't know, Notre Dame's an interesting one. Uh Bray seems like he wants to stop coaching. Everything I see, he's ready to he's ready to retire. Uh, he doesn't strike me as someone who's energetic and jom- chomping at the bit to keep this thing going. Um, I have no idea nah, in the ACC. We'll see. Um, see what happens there. Um, all right. Well, that, that is all I've got, Will. Make sure, folks, if you've not already, we mentioned on the pod, but go, go, go. Go check out statsbywill.com to check out his Tennessee basketball series the eight part series um you can find it there follow him on twitter that's that's by will uh wave to him if you're knoxville local you see him running around the city uh with ice packs all around his knees pretending everything's fine chomping on an apple because the man <laughs> is loaded loaded i'll tell you on the apple front um follow myself chase double underscore thomas leave us a five-star reading review on apple Podcasts if you have not already uh subscribe to the newsletter sports and email us if you have any college basketball questions you would like us to answer on a future show chase thomas podcast at gmail.com again that is chase thomas podcast at gmail.com will i will talk to you next week
1: thanks for having me on